The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that what had been said through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. On those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, light has arisen. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. He said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. He walked on from there and saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their their father and followed him. He went around all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and curing every disease and illness among the people. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Today's uh, theme of the homily is Jesus, or God, doesn't work alone. And you're going to have to forgive me, but uh, you know when you've read the Bible a lot and, and all of a sudden you hear something for, and you're like, wait a second, I never made that connection. And I just made the connection when I was listening to the wonderful first reading, well done. Uh, and so I'm going to throw it in. This is an added bonus, but it is going to be a minute, but uh, I think you'll enjoy it because it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, this one, one phrase from the first, what is it, the first reading. Here it is from the prophet Isaiah. So we're about 700 years before Christ. The people are in exile. Isaiah's prophesying. They're coming back. And when he talks about, for the yoke that burdened them, the pole on their shoulders and the rod of their taskmasters have smashed as on the day of Midian. And I remembered what the day of Midian is. The day of Midian was when Moses was trying to lead the people into the Holy Land for the first time, right? They had been exiled. The Egyptians had made them slaves for several hundred years. Moses sees the burning bush, rediscovers, in a sense, the faith of the Jewish people that Abraham had, goes to winds that he can bring the people back. They're wandering the desert those 40 years. And the reason they're wandering for 40 years is partially the rebellion of the people who want to go back to slavery. And Moses, a little bit, God teaching Moses to be a leader of the faith. And at one particular point, he comes to the rock of Midian, and God says that he will lead him into the people and just have faith and to strike the rock and, and water will flow out to satisfy the people's thirst. And he strikes it. And in a lack of faith, not seeing the results immediately, he strikes it a second time in disobedience of God. Right? And at the rock of Midian, God tells him, you know, you didn't believe you're not going to lead the people in, but your son will, Joshua, will. And so it's a symbol for the people of, not being willing to wait on God's timing, 
being frustrated with God, wanting to do things your way and have the result immediately, lacking faith, and striking a second time in disobedience to God. And God has smashed that rod, right? Which is a beautiful image of, even though you failed me here, I'm going to be faithful to you. We're going to find another. We're going to get it done. We're going to save you. We're going to be together. But you need to learn. And God comes back a second time. And he does it through this first leading the people in, through Joshua. Hundreds of years later, after they rebel and get kicked out of the land again, ransacked and carried off by their enemies, eventually God brings them back again. And then this prophecy is about how God will do it. And then a third time in Jesus, the exact same land, the exact same neighborhoods, the exact same region, it's very specific, the town of Nephthali, that place right there, God brings them back a third time. How? Through Jesus and his callings. So now we jump into the homily that I did there, which is the call of Christ. And uh, this third attempt by God to bring his people home. So the arrest of John the Baptist, which is mentioned right at the beginning of the gospel, was the moment of transition for Jesus. It was the moment that Jesus realized, okay, now I've got to begin my public ministry. Before this point, Jesus had begun gathering his apostles and preaching, but only kind of on a part-time basis. And as long as John was continuing to preach and baptize at the Jordan, he was kind of laying low, beginning to spread his message. He moves to Capernaum, to a bigger town, bigger city, a little more commercial, right on the lake. A lot of fishermen buying and selling people from the towns and the hills would come there. It's a larger city. He comes, and he starts to get to know people. He starts to preach. He goes to the synagogues in the area, etc. But when John's arrested, that's his sign. The last prophet had been silenced, and the moment had come for Jesus, the Messiah, as the prophets had announced, to step into center stage. And St. Matthew tells us that when that moment came, he goes into Capernaum, as I said, that more cosmopolitan city, and he begins calling his first apostles. Two sets of brothers, you know, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And Jesus had obviously all met them before. Uh, they were still, some of them, disciples of John the Baptist. They had caught on to his teaching, understood the need for repentance, were excited for a Messiah, were wanted to be part, right? They were seekers, willing to go into the desert and listen to this prophet, leave business and work for a bit, go spend some time and listen. And, and they resonated with these ideals. And they'd seen Jesus perform the miracle at Cana, and they start to get to know him, believe in him, etc. But that's not enough for Jesus. Jesus has more to show them, more for them to do. So in this crucial moment, when he's ready to begin his full-time ministry, he goes out to these fishermen in the middle of their workday, and he challenges them to leave it and follow him to help build his kingdom. The point is, Jesus doesn't want to go into his mission alone. Right? Up to this point, he was. At this point, he was content. But at the moment he begins to go public, he starts to call his friends. It's interesting how Jesus goes about this, and I think there's a lesson here. The apostles are at work on the lake, fishing in the middle of their day, and he comes to meet them there. He walks out onto the lakeshore, he enters their environment, he walks into their everyday life, and he challenges them. He wants to be part of their lives, not on the fringe, 
He wants to be involved, him with them and them with him. And he does that the very same way with us. He's always coming out to meet us in our circumstances of our daily life. He's always thinking, watching, and calling. And he's not too concerned with convenience. Jesus doesn't seem to pick convenient times. He could have caught them on Sunday, maybe go down to the synagogue when they relax with the family and say, come over, dude. I just want to, let's have a coffee. I want to talk to you, right? I want to stick Arab coffee. So let's get into this. And I'm thinking, would you be willing? No, he goes in front of all of his friends, in front of all of his coworkers, and he challenges them in public. You, you and your brother, <laughs> come follow me. Right? Now, that doesn't mean he didn't have one-on-one -on -one conversations before, but he certainly isn't afraid to up the ante and call them right where they are. And God does that for us often. And many times you're like, is that really him? But really it's a question it's like, I hope that's not him. Because <laughs> this is too public. This would require me owning what I talk about with him in private. Right? And he challenges us to do that at times. He's not concerned with convenience. But anyone who's in sales sometimes knows this, right? You work to, to a point you need someone to commit and to sign on the dotted line to say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to put money in this. And if you're constantly courting and never kind of say, hey, fish or cut bait, are you in or are you out? You can you waste a lot of time and money and trips and investment. At some point, you kind of have to, the good ones, get to know when's the right, when are they close enough that I can challenge them and not lose them. Or if I lose them, I was never going to get them anyhow, so better to just move on, right? Jesus is the master salesman, so to speak, not because he's trying to sell them a used car or get them to buy something with a jalopy, but because he's got a great product for them and wants them in. And he finds the moment and the way to do it, and he does that with us. Jesus doesn't work alone. He wants us to work with him. Now, we respond to that call primarily in the big scheme of things, following his commandments and the teachings of his church. He set up a church just for that purpose, to continue and perpetuate his call and the parameters of his call and to teach the lessons of his call and to make it concrete and real in today's new and changing circumstances. We respond by looking for opportunities to draw, draw others closer to him, right? That's what he wanted Peter and James and John for because they were going to go two by two eventually and preach his message and start churches around Europe. We respond by listening to the small inspirations of the Holy Spirit, which he sends us each day. Inspirations that almost always lead us, often out of our comfort zones, for the sake of our neighbor. And a little sub-point here. A lot of us are comfortable with this level of call. The little invitations that come here and there. And then I'm free. No one knows. I can say yes or no. It's kind of on my court. That's why Jesus steps it up because he wants us to be a following relationship, not a comfort relationship. It's where you set the pace and I follow you, and that I set the pace and you follow me. God's a good, loving, patient father, and he's willing to do that up to a point, but he's leading us towards, hey, come follow me, be mine, and I'll be yours. It's not always easy to respond to Christ's call. Granted, there are challenges, yes, 
uh, when he asks more of us, sometimes our first reaction is to kind of hesitate, calculate, even rebel. That's why it's important to remember why Jesus keeps calling us. Why this is the third time, right? Why he does it over and over again. It's because he loves us, because he wants us to be with him and us with him, because he knows that only he can fill our hearts with meaning and purpose we long for. He watches from it. He sees what we're seeking. He knows he can get it for us. He knows we're limited and sometimes confused on how to get there. And he wants to provide that. Jesus is not calling us out of his own selfishness as if he needs something from us. He has to hit a sales goal. No, he has something he knows will give us life and wants us to receive it. Like a parent with a child, I don't get anything. Well, sure, a peaceful home, <laughs> good relation. That's what I get. But it's for you, for the child. It's, it's, that's why I go to work every day. That's why I'm trying to make money. Pay for your school, get you from college, so you're a success. I mean, everything is about the other. Same with God. It's all about you. So, brothers and sisters, the invitation is give in, let go, let God trust. And even if you're afraid, you're questioning, it's like, oh, that's going to be an investment. I don't know what other people are going to think. Normal reactions, overcome that with love. Say yes. And as I often say, those who are seekers are not really even sure if God exists, the agnostics, one of my common challenges, okay, pray every morning for five minutes for 30 days. And if God doesn't reveal himself at the end of those 30 days, you're off the hook. Because I believe he's real. And I believe if you open your heart, he'll respond. The same way, respond to God's invitations this week. Every time you feel the Holy Spirit call as an opportunity, just do it. And see if you're not in a better place a week from now. God's calling. He doesn't want to work alone. And he needs you. And he'll be inviting you this week.